hello and welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. My name is Bianca Woolwick and I'm the host. I interview my friends and people that inspire me to figure out if they have the key to life and they feel successful or feel like they don't fit in like I do. Anyway, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, I just wanted to do some housekeeping before we hop into the episode this week. I am so grateful for all of your support. Thank you so much. Um, And I will continue to release episodes every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific. However, I am going to start releasing bonus episodes as things are timely. I've had an incredible opportunity to interview people all over the world. So I want to share as many of these episodes as possible. So if something feels timely and I compare it to a previous interview that I've had, I will release it. Um, So look for those bonus episodes on Friday. um, And thank you everyone for all of your support. Please like, share, comment, tell a friend, etc. And if you want to be a guest, as always, just email pdkmopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and I hope everyone enjoys this episode. My guest today is going to be independent filmmaker and creator of Script Revolution, CJ Wally. This is a really fun interview, so I'm excited to share it, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Bianca. How, uh, how's the weather where you are in the world? Surprisingly sunny, actually. It's a freak occurrence that's going on right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I live in San Diego, so it's sunny and 75 pretty much year-round, so I, I really can't complain. <laughs> yeah, I guess you guys are a lot better suited to it over there. We're, um, we're struggling a little. <laughs> to my listeners, this is Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome, and the lovely voice you're hearing on the other end coming to you from the UK is CJ Wally. CJ, would you like to give your elevator pitch, your 30,000-foot overview of who you are, what you do, etc.? Okay, so this is me at 30,000 feet. Um, So yeah, I'm CJ Wally. I'm a screenwriter and indie movie producer. Um, And I also run a large free script hazing website called scriptrevolution.com. I'm based in the UK and I make films over in Los Angeles, which is pretty sweet. That is awesome. Yeah, I'm uh, two hours south of that <laughs> in no. San Diego, but I, uh, I definitely have quite a few friends in the industry and I'm always fascinated by that. And so I'm really excited to share your story with my listeners um, and you as many guests recently that I've been interviewing where I found you through the matchmaker.fm app, which of course sounds like a dating app, but it's not. <laughs> it is uh, for podcasters and podcasts to uh, meet for free um, to basically expand interviews and podcasting. So I definitely appreciate your willingness to be on my humble little podcast. <laughs> Oh, you know, thank you so much for having me on. It's a, it's a real privilege. And yeah, Matchmaker FM, fantastic. The, um, the Tinder of podcast matching, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I remember telling my husband about this and he was like, so is it a dating 
thing. And I was like, no, it's just for podcasts. But I actually found out about it on the uh, Reddit thread for our podcasts. And I was like, there's no way this thing is free. Like what? This doesn't make sense. But through it, I've met so many cool people like all over the world. Um, coordinating schedules has been a di- little bit difficult. I had to end up getting a, a scheduling app um, just because of time zones and all of that. But overall, it's been a really cool experience. And I'm very grateful for it because it's taken the guesswork out of me having to reach out and beg people to be on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And I think, you know, it, it really kind of liberates the podcasting world because that's the hard thing, isn't it? I think for you guys is going out there and reaching out and getting noticed and getting guests. Oh and my gosh, I have yes. To say, you know, I, I joined and within a week I had quite a, a few people come to me and you're certainly one of the more professional ones, I have to say. <laughs> got everything Thank you. Down <laughs> Thank you. Uh, 10 years of marketing experience. I'll tell you <laughs> what. No, um, this has been, podcasting has been something that I was so, I've, I've always wanted to be a podcast guest and I, that never happened. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> and um, I got laid off at the beginning of this pandemic. Uh, I was a marketing director for a title and escrow company, Real Sexy. And and uh, they laid me off and I was like, well, not doing anything else. Might as well try it. And um, I had actually produced a podcast for my uh, previous position. So I knew about Anchor.fm, which is what I used to host. Um, and I'm also sponsored by Anchor.fm, uh, which I used to host my podcast. And it's this really great free tool that really allows you to have the freedom within podcasting. So I'm all about how much the podcasting world has changed, even just for me starting this 20 weeks ago. Um, I've seen so many more people use this time very creatively. So it's really exciting because I'm getting to meet people all over the world. And I love that. That's fantastic. I guess this is the new normal. And I, you know, I kudos to you for leaning into it as hard as you have. That's thinking on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because people will be like, well, don't you want to get back to work and back to a job? And I'm like, dude, this is a full-time job. Like, yeah. is it paying me? No, no, not very much. But, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's truly a full-time job and it's like, uh, no one's told me to stop. So I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I think all these things are a lot harder than people think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, We'll just hop into the, you know, the elephant in the room, the topic at hand, which is, of course, imposter syndrome. And I always love asking this question because I feel like it normalizes the feeling. But do you feel like you have it all figured out? Absolutely not. You know, maybe I did briefly when I was like 18 year old, 18 year old you know, male teenager with all that arrogance that comes with it. But I've found that the older I get, the more confused I just become over everything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. I always have this theory that like, you know, you're constantly moving towards this goalpost and then you hit that goalpost, you have another goalpost. And it's really just difficult to, to, to kind of, I think, I think if you have it all figured out, that's a very boring life. I mean, I mean, if, if you find the key to life, then what do you do next? <laughs> exactly. I mean, having one goal is, is quite foolish. And I think that the nature of aiming towards your goal is generally speaking, you think you know where it is, you move in that direction, but then it shifts left or right. Exactly. And you keep pivoting and hopefully the pivots swing less and less. But yeah, you know, I think um, a journey of discovery is a, a very good one indeed. Yeah, absolutely. And and I always, you know, tell people you should never ever compare yourself to other people's highlight reels. Um I had a guest uh Diana and she 
or Diane, she, and this, that's what she told me. And I've, 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 it stuck with me since she said it, that we are constantly comparing ourselves to everyone else's highlight reel and, and not the bloopers that they're not showing us. And so, you know, thinking that someone else has it all figured out and that the grass is greener on the other side. I mean, they certainly, and, and through these conversations, I found that no one has it figured out. Absolutely no one. And that's okay. Absolutely. And, you know, you make a good point there because, you know, I've attributed to kind of growing older and maturing, but I also think the dynamics change so much. I'm watching YouTube videos now where there's like lifetime investment advice being given by like 23 year olds. And I'm just thinking, (laughs) I'm not sure you're really qualified to do this, but I admire the moxie and, and quite often the knowledge as well is really impressive. So yeah, I totally agree with if you ever have any insecurities, social media is not helping. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. And, um, you know, I feel, I feel sorry for the younger generation in a lot of ways, but I also find that, well, feeling sorry for them in the, in the fact that there's just like, you know, you're comparing yourself to this like highlight reel all the time. Yes. But even so, I'm finding that um, the younger generation is also more interested in authenticity than um, than kind of what we were served growing up, which was like, you know, just kind of this polished celebrity look. And and now I think the younger generation, while they're also, you know, so inundated with social media and they never got a chance to not be on it, they're also a lot better at um, finding authenticity in things, which I think is great. That's awesome to hear. And, you know, every generation has to learn new skills. And this generation has gone into a world of inauthenticity with social media and they've adapted. That's fantastic. I, my generation, I had to learn authenticity as like a a new concept. Yeah, yeah. I'm a millennial and I'm and I'm wrapping my head around Gen Z because I my previous position I had an employee that was Gen Z and uh I will never forget when he said, Bianca, can you believe that people were born before the internet? And I was like, Yeah, dude, me. Like, like <laughs> I am 31. <laughs> like I I grew up with dial-up. Like like I mean, you know, so it's just been funny to kind of learn the new, you know, the new normal of of kind of this younger workforce mm. and all of that. And I'm, I'm I, I never thought at 31 I'd start to feel like an old fart, but here we are. <laughs> um, and I know that I'm, you know, I know that that's just it's just funny because it's interesting, you know, having to like learn that, but. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny because he, you know, I, I see kind of people younger than me striving for things and being like, wow, I could never do what you do and all these things, or how do you have so much experience? And I'm like, I just, you know, you just got to learn by doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You got to jump. That's the best way. I mean, it depends on what kind of learning you are and that's a whole other kind of part of your life development, but you know, it's a kinesthetic thing in a way it's virtual, but you have to do that. And I totally agree. You know, I'm Gen X. We went into school and it was chalk, you know, on blackboards and we came out the other end and it was digital, you know, digital boards. And we went in with, um, you know, listening to cassette tapes and coming out with MP3. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny because I like I think back on like me being in high school and I remember like when like the first kid brought an iPad to school and like it was like, wow. And I remember I was like a freshman in high school or whatever. And um, and and then and then our phones, they went from bricks to these computers and you're hand and it's like it's just mind-blowing how much things have changed and five years from now what are we going to look back and think it's Mm. crazy to me 
Mm, exactly. It's gonna. It's changing us. We've become cybernetic. You know, yeah. we, we effectively do have this digit. We're so connected to our phones. We have become this new type of entity. It's an incredible transformation that will go down. You know, as a turning point in history. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just uh, hop into the, the the question about imposter syndrome. So, do you feel like you fit in or suffer from imposter syndrome? In what ways? And what does imposter syndrome mean to you? Well, I think, you know, it, it means to, as, as someone who suffers from chronic anxiety and catastrophization, it means to me, everybody suddenly realizing, quite probably in synchronization with one another, that you are a complete fraud, that you do not know what you're doing. And in fact, it's worse than that. You're completely incompetent, destructive, a hack, everything else. And they all share this information and it's all revealed and your entire world shatters around you. Um, and yeah, I, I've felt it increasingly over my life like i mentioned when i was younger i had this kind of road through i guess on a, on a degree of arrogance or maybe i hadn't run into those terrible situations that give you that anxiety over your life um but now i feel it more than ever because like you i used to be in marketing and i've moved into the motion picture industry mm -hmm. and as you can imagine i mean it, it's a very very different world um, so yeah i i suffer it now more than ever yeah, um, not to toot your own horn, but I definitely like did my research, looked at some of the stuff you've done. First of all, it's incredible. So, but even so, I mean, talking about the you know imposter syndrome, it's hard sometimes to accept our own achievements and our accomplishments. And um, finding out recently for me that I was actually predispositioned to have imposter syndrome as a person with anxiety, but also a child of a narcissist mother. Um, I, I am a, I'm what they consider, according to this book, a high age that I'm reading for therapy, thanks to my therapist. Uh, for high, uh, I was predispositioned on my character traits based to be a high achiever. And with that comes a ass load of imposter syndrome <laughs> because you don't feel like you can accept your accomplishments. You don't feel like you're worthy of what you're earning yet. I mean, I even reading in your background, you know, being a director of a marketing agency, like that's, that was my goal is to be a director of marketing. And I hit that. And every single day I was like, when are they going to come in here and tell me <laughs> that it is my last day. And I mean, I got laid off because it was a pandemic and marketing is always the first to go, whatever, bye. Mm. Um, but what I've been realizing since then is that I think marketing will always be part of my life and part of my career, but I'm sick of marketing for other people. I want to market for myself. Oh yeah. I mean, the marketing, marketing is really interesting because there is an illusion that marketing is something quite artistic and I guess kind of fun and wholesome and I think it can be if you're in some areas of b2c that you know are kind of some of the big corporations or the funky little companies but for the vast majority of people in marketing it's a very cynical practice which is basically about engineering systems to effectively manipulate people into handing over their their money um, and you know, if you're doing that by entertaining them and making something that they find fun, that's okay, that's fulfilling. But if you're doing that because you're basically saying, well, this is what the widget does and this is how much it costs and these are the, the, the benefits and all the bullshit lingo that you kind of develop around that to convince them, 
I found it just, it gradually eroded away at me. It really did. But I do know that feeling that you speak of, you know, that, that feeling of, um, of when, when are they going to come in? When are they going to, when are the, like the authenticity police going to be called and going <laughs> to storm the building and drag me out? You know? Yes, yes, absolutely. And and you bring up a good point about marketing. Um, you know, it it really is. It's just like a wolf in sheep's clothing because you're tricking people into handing over their money. And I've done B2C. I've done so business to consumer, business to business. I'll dumb it down for my friends that have never had to work for an agency and God rest your soul for that because I mean, it really is draining. Um, and I've worked product side and I've worked, I've done freelance for myself and all of that. And honestly, every time I just, I never felt like I fit in. I never felt like I was meant to be there. I never felt like it was good enough. And, and, and also, I mean, I'm very huge proponent of, of people not taking advantage of small businesses. And I worked for an agency that was the antithesis of that. And it, drained my soul like it yeah. really truly it, it ebbs it away at you and um you know and that's not to say i'm not good at marketing it's not to say that i didn't deserve the positions i've had and, and that i wasn't great at my job i mean i made a mountain out of a molehill with one other employee in a year we created over a hundred youtube videos about title insurance you know like <laughs> the most unsexy thing you could ever wow. do and um and I, I brought their brand from a uh two and a half star on yelp to a four solid four stars on yelp um and i was very proud of the things i've done and i looked back and i'm like wow i mean i'm capable of so much but also where I'm at now and doing this creative stuff for myself, similar to you with now, you know, following your passion, I just feel more fulfilled, honestly. I do, I, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because once you do find a true goal and, you know, for me, marketing came out of enjoying art and design when mm -hmm. I was younger. So it was like, oh, you're a creative, go into marketing. And it was just so, it was like, oh, you, you, you like playing with crayons, go play with your crayons for that. Um, and I, I think that, you know, if once you do find a passion and a, and a reason to do something, that's a really mixed thing. It's like opening in a Pandora's box because yes, all of this energy comes out of you and you're doing it for yourself, but your drive, determination and kind of pressure that you put on yourself rockets up at the same time. Yeah. And it's a, it's kind of a dangerous door to open in that respect but i'll tell you what marketing the worst thing for me was pr that was oh. I, i'm not directly in pr but pr is just such a load of bs oh like gosh, yes. it's the fakest thing i didn't realize it's like now i can pick up one of those little magazines that they hand out in your local town or whatever and i can say look here's the article here's the advert here's the article here's the advert they buy the adverts they get the article right yeah and it's just so obvious yeah I, it took me. I had to work in industry to realize that, and I have to point that out to people. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Anyone listening into this who's who doesn't know about marketing, it is, <laughs> you know, with the PR side and everything else. And you know, it links in to the imposter thing, I think, quite well because the thing about it is a lot of it is about fakery. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing about if you do suffer from imposter syndrome is that you are constantly concerned about being fake. You, mm -hmm. You're probably you know, a very modest person. You don't like to boast about yourself and everything else. And you're going into this world, particularly on the PR side, where everyone's faking it. 
Yes. And that, that gets at you, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, so it's funny because I started out as an art major in college and I loved, I was so, okay, so I was a big, I never fit in. I was a fucking nerd. I'm still a fucking nerd. <laughs> I'm married to a fucking nerd. It's fine. I'm a nerd and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it, but I was, sure, I, I grew up sure. not being proud of it, right? Like it wasn't okay to be nerdy. It wasn't mm. okay to be these things. And I think that bleeds into imposter syndrome. So I started out as an, in, in, as an art, in, in art and I wanted to be a graphic designer and the only jobs that were lucrative for graphic designers, because I loved, I was very interested in that, um, were basically just, you go to an agency, you work for an agency, you go to yes. a PR firm, you work for a PR firm, you know, kind of similar to you. It's like, oh, you're creative, go be creative, do this. And so it pushed me into that because um, as soon as I had art 101 and I was, it was just so hard for me. It was so hard. I couldn't do it. Not that I couldn't do it, but just, I, I, I would just be up in tears, you know, my mm, freshman year yeah. of college, just not being able to produce this, whatever they, they wanted us to do. And it was just frustrating for me. So I switched my major and I wanted to be in broadcast. I've always wanted to, I always wanted to be a radio DJ. I thought, you know, I might not have the, I might not have the, you know, the face for it, but I certainly have the voice. And so I was a radio DJ all through college. And, um, I was also, but I also knew that that was a dying industry and that wasn't very lucrative. And so I thought, well, I'll just go into advertising. My sister was in advertising. Um, and so I, I specialized in PR and advertising. So as journalism mm -hmm. with PR and advertising, I tried to get an internship after college in PR. And I remember going to this interview and the lady had marked up my resume and had written some mean fucking comments on it. And mm. I saw what she had said on my resume. And I was like, I just graduated college and it broke my heart. I was wow. like, I can't believe like, so that's always been my association with public relations is it's so effing mm. fake. And I've also found that, you know, any article that you read, of course, there is a marketing tie to it. You don't know it, but there is a marketing tie to it. Typically someone has paid for that spot. Mm. And, um, so, so definitely, um, I, I, I learned very quickly that, you know, marketing was where I needed to go and, 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 and stuff, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful for everything that I've learned in my career, but I'm now I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm, I'm shifting gears. I am a military spouse. Um, and I'm finding that military spouses are very underserved and typically un underemployed. Um, and so I'm kind of looking into like, perhaps I'm going to go into coaching or yeah. do something that helps them. So I'm kind of shifting gears. I think marketing will always be part of my career, but I don't, for right now I'm paused, I'm working on this, but I think eventually I want to do something that helps others. I think that's where I'm kind of heading because brands, really, don't, need, really brands don't need me. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that's beautiful. That's sweet. And the world needs that medicine out there and everyone needs to be helping one another on that course. And the more people who can do that, the better. But yeah, you never get away from the marketing thing. No. <laughs> and the, the good advantage of it is, is that when you do go out on your own, you do your own stuff, that you have this marketing knowledge. Mm -hmm. And as a screenwriter, I'm quite unusual in that respect because I yeah. do have a website, I do have a persona, I do have a bio and all these things. And I'm constantly telling other screenwriters, you need to market yourself. And you know, the, the irony is, and they always say, you know, plumber's taps always leak, baker's kids always go hungry. It's very difficult to get writers to even put 25 words together about themselves, which should be, you know, five minutes work and be some of the best, you know, yeah. prose I've ever put together. So, yeah, I, I, I find it drives me a bit crazy 
But on the flip side, when you get into the business side of things, so much of it is about marketing. Um, You know, the average budget for a film now, you know, 50% of its overall budget now is marketing. It's P&A. I didn't know Um, that. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about markets and market saturation and you think about, you know, when you and I were younger, a movie coming out was a big thing. It was probably the biggest thing. There wasn't yeah, much else going was. on in the world. And um, you read about it in a magazine or saw a trailer on the television. Now, a movie has to compete with so much, has to compete with all these video games, has to compete with, you know, stuff that's on streaming and a, a multitude of TV channels and all the gossip press on top of that. Mm. So cutting through is, is difficult. That's why you got all these yeah. franchises. Yeah. So what was kind of, what was the moment that really led you into film? It was a mental breakdown. Um, <laughs> and I, Funny I, how I that works, because I had I, one too before I got laid off. <laughs> right, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I, I shit you not, I was sitting at my computer. I'd had a fantastic few years. It was a few years after leaving an agency where I was, a, like say, a, a, a director. I was doing very well. I did more money than I ever earned in my life. I had clients um, around the world. I'd gone to Vegas on business, good stuff, you know, and um it all just started to fall apart around me and I realized how unfilling, unfulfilling it was. And I was sitting at my computer one day just doing my work. And the best way I can describe it is I ended up like throwing up all this pent up emotion through my eyeballs. It was the strangest experience. It just came out of me. And I ended up on the floor weeping with the cat staring at me, wondering what's <laughs> going wrong. And I'm thinking, do I call my partner? Do I tell her, you know, that I need help? What's going on? And then I kind of just brushed myself up, sat back down and carried on. And it was like, I couldn't get away from that this had happened. And I was mm-hmm. kind of every night when I'm going to bed, I was kind of like, I was already fantasizing about these movie scenes and they were helping me sleep, but now they were keeping me up and it was almost becoming a tormenting thing. And I thought I need to write. And this was absurd because I wasn't, I, you know, I was in no way a writer. I struggled to, towards the end of school um, with my writing, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I talk about how my English teacher told me she would never forgive me for getting good scores in my <laughs> exams because I didn't deserve them. Um, so it was absurd to to go into that world. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I, I, it's crazy that sometimes the most creative people have to have a mental breakdown to figure out what mm. truly is their calling. Right before uh, being laid off in the pandemic and all of that, I um. I had a conversation with my friend, Melanie, and she had said, if you could shut your eyes and, and think of what you really want, really, truly wanted to do, what would it be? And I said, I want a podcast. I want two podcasts. I have always wanted to podcast. And I didn't know at the time what I wanted to podcast about. And uh, it took getting laid off. It took having that mental breakdown, going into my boss in literal tears, being like, I'm so stressed out. And, and I, and like, I, I, I can't, calm down. I need to take some like a mental health day or something. Cause, um, I, you know, I had a lot of my plate as a marketing director for a fortune 500 branch of a company. Like, Oof. and I just had one employee and all I made was videos. You couldn't do anything else. And it's just like, ah, <laughs> you know, I, I had so much on my shoulders. I had a sales team of 20 to 30 people. And what I have actually found is that, you know, the, when we feel imposter syndrome the most, and when we feel it, being found out as a fraud the most is when we are not being authentic to ourselves and we are not doing what our psyche is 
underlyingly telling us to do. And so the more that you're doing that doesn't align with who you are and what you want and what you need, the more you're going to feel this imposter syndrome. And so now that I'm waking up every day grateful, I mean, and you know, I, I, I've really taken this year to do and soul search and work on me and go to therapy and do all those things you need to do to like be a better person. And I, I wake up every day and I just feel good because I'm doing what I meant to do, I think. So that's really sweet. Yeah, it's nice. It's really nice. Um, you know, and my, my husband is currently away. Uh, he's on a ship in the middle of wherever. And, um, and I mean, just, he's always been my number one fan and from day one has just been, you know, my biggest supporter, no matter what I've done. And he's watched me go through, you know, starting and stopping my marketing career over and over and over again. But the, the amount of joy that he had when I said, I got my second sponsor, I Mm -hmm. I got a sponsor. My little podcast is at 1300 listens so far. And he was like, just so immensely proud of me. And I was like, it just, it just finally, I'm starting to see like what he sees in me. Oh yeah. That's an interesting um, take on that actually. And I see that quite a bit. And I I don't think people realize how important it it is to have that kind of spousal support Mm -hmm. or some kind of parental or, you know, sibling support or family support or best friend, you know, you mentioned, was it Melanie there, you know, and people like that who actually are looking out for you and supporting you. Um, It's so damn important when you're in the early days because you need someone else to kind of, reflect off to kind of not not just acknowledge your successes but kind of acknowledge that your successes are worth acknowledging if that makes sense mm-hmm. so if, you, if you're a very modest person if you put yourself down then it's very easy to lump criticism onto yourself and then whenever you get a positive you know success story kind of dismiss it yeah. You know, you kind of go, oh, well, it's, you know, it's this sponsor. I was expecting that sponsor or, oh, it won't last, mm-hmm. you know, or it'll be the last one I ever get or they'll see, or they'll see how bad I am and drop me. You know, and you'd have all those, you know, I can, I can totally picture the kind of paranoia you would have. So, you know, for me, you know, the biggest one in my life is my mom. She's just been incredibly supportive from day one, you know, but also, you know, my, my sister, my dad, and people like that, they all really support me as well. Um, you know, I had a slight issue in my relationship in the, my partner, she didn't like the industry I wanted to get into. Mm. So that made mm. things, she was very supportive in the best way she could be, but there wasn't that kind of passion that was there if that makes sense there wasn't yeah yes 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 this is what you should be doing yeah yeah no i think you you do bring up a good point it is incredibly important to keep people in our lives that champion us and uh uh, one thing i've been really focusing on in 2020 um well my new year's resolution was to accept a compliment we're still working on that but (laughs) uh but uh you know i've also been trying to um cut out any toxicity and i've actually been talking to quite a few people recently about kind of it's been incredible during this pandemic to see what friendships turned out to be weeds and what bloomed and blossomed and the people that were uh, have been there for me while I've been, you know, un, you know, dealing with this pandemic, like we all have been dealing with it differently. Those of, that have been supporting of me are, are the, not who I would have expected. And it's also interesting to kind of see like, you know, different friendships flourish and all of that. So I think it's a, there's a, a lot to be said by keeping people in your life that really do champion you and really do 
understand, you know, you as a person and really want the best for you. And, and there's a, there's a falsity as a woman, there's that boss babe culture, blah, 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 but it's actually toxic. And it doesn't really, it's not really women empowering women. It's just women comparing women to women. So I'm, I'm, I'm a person who completely champions all women, men, whatever. But if you're my friend, I want the best for you always. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a funny old game really, because something I think a lot of people find when they go their own way with something like this is they, they're, they can have friendships with people or acquaintances and they don't get much support from them. Whereas those same people fawn over major celebrities mm-hmm. or artists that are already incredible. You know, like you might have a friend who every time Joe Rogan does a podcast, he's like, Oh, you have to listen to new Joe, Joe Rogan's the man. And he had this sex, he had that, whatever. And you say, Oh, that's great. Have you seen mine? And they don't even give you a like on Facebook and you're kind of like, you know shit man i i I would like some of that that sweet sweet (laughs) energy and support that you've got and you know part of the issue is is we tend you know to migrate towards worshipping the already successful or very small percent and i hope that as we move forward more and more people realize that they're you know the people close to them really need that that support i'm very lucky i have some amazing um, people that you know in my life that have been enormously supportive but you definitely see that support extend outwards and become more bombastic as you become more successful mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and that segues right into this next question um and so what success looks like to me is definitely different than what it will look like to you so what does success look like to you and do you feel successful you know, I think um, for me, success is fulfillment. Mm-hmm. I, I've had a bit of money in my life. I've had an office. I've been a director of a marketing agency. I've been able to fly around the world a bit on business. You know, I, I, I've, I've done that kind of stuff. So fulfillment for me is the big thing. And I think fulfillment, you know, it's this, I, I see it as this combination of being authentic with yourself and that becoming an authenticity that you mm-hmm. give off. Combine that with security, and that's you know financial security, job security, it's you know family security, relationship security, all those other things that, that come entwined within that. And then it's chasing you know a passion or a life goal, something that you're meant to actually do. Mm-hmm. something that you you know you're meant to you kind of feel born to do and to put into the world so yeah that's what I I, I think that is if I was to try and summarize it yeah I, I like that answer um, I do think that that fulfillment is is you know the life goal is to just be content with what we have to be um, working in our passions and I'm finding that success right now like I feel so successful right now but on paper, uh, am I making money? No, uh, uh, because that's not what success is. Yeah, I mean, sure, like, yeah, I, we own our house in San Diego. I mean, that's unheard of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and and in and you know, and I'm I'm married, and and I'm doing those things that outwardly the picket fits, you know, that looks successful. But um, I also I also am and am, am realizing that you know I I realized this because right before I got laid off, I actually had 
had had wanted to find a company that valued me and was willing to pay me for what my 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 worth was. And I thought if I made more money, then I would feel successful. If I made more money with the um, position I had, I would feel better about myself. And you know what? That wouldn't have helped. It really wouldn't have because it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it, doesn't it depends. It really depends on on that security aspect because the security aspect can really take over. So I don't feel kind of fulfilled and happy because I don't have security in my life at the moment. You know, I've done, you know, one film so far. I've had some dramatic life changes come about. You know, I've had divorce. Mm -hmm. I've had 10 years of getting out of depression. I've, you know, been financially perilous. You know, I was, you know, about 18 months ago, I was nearly living in my car. And the problem with that is you... The, the very kind of deep bottom of the Maslow's ladder stuff kicks in mm -hmm. and it says, you know what you need right now to be happy. You need to be able to pay your bills. You need to be able to feed yourself. You need a roof over your head. You need all these basic things. You need to be able to socialize. That's something a lot of people are going through right now with the, with the lockdown and all these very basic things. So what's kind of interesting is in one area of my life, I, I have all this really exciting stuff, which is quite glamorous and mm -hmm. exciting. And on the other side, it's like, well, you know, I, you know, I, I need, I need, I need to be able to afford to rent a place. Never mind get a mortgage. Never mind be able to buy one outright. You know, and that changes a lot. And I, I think that the life of an artist is really tough, or the life of a new entrepreneur or a freelancer is really tough, because yes. You really want to do the fulfillment stuff, but damn it, you got to pay those bills. And this is why I'm a big believer in things like lean living, you know, mm -hmm. cutting everything you can back so that you can remain free and liberated and able to, to chase those, those other passions. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, we're all a work in progress, you know, like it goes back to having it all figured out. Like it, it really like, you know, if we're not learning and growing and all of that, um, then, you know, we're not truly changing, but I think you're on the path to feel great success and to feel better than ever. And, and you know, life changes, <laughs> life changes fast and, and, um, you know, I, yeah, I'm, it it's, it's, it's just crazy. Like how, how 2020 has been like, wow, did, did we have that on our bingo card? Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> well, I like mean, here comes another thing and here comes another thing and here comes another thing. So, um, it's been a great equalizer, hasn't it? It really has. It's, it's made everyone go through this process, which is quite a therapeutic, it's like a rehab yeah. process of you've got to stay in your house and you've now got to live with yourself. There's no more evading it. There's no more financing a new car to cheer yourself up, going on holiday to get away from, you know, how mediocre your life is. There's no going out and getting drunk with your friends and trying to one-up them to make you feel better about yourself. It is just you and you in sharing your time with yourself. Mm -hmm. There are no more excuses. And yeah, okay, you can keep buying stuff from Amazon and whatever. But generally speaking, it's kind of fascinating because everyone's had to kind of dematerialize. Yeah. And that's yeah. powerful that's yeah. powerful i you know i'm in the i'm in an enlightened situation where once i am stable and everything else i'm not going to go out and waste all my money you know yeah. because I'm, I'm not on that train and that's it when you meet people who act like they well they seem like they've got it all worked out what they've really got worked out is what the mortgage is going to be what the car payment is going to be what the next job promotion is going to be and it's like that ain't the plan that's that's dreaming yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have this saying, and I've resoundingly said this so many times, my listeners are probably going to be like, oh, great, here she goes again. Um, But if you are not coming out of this pandemic more creative, more empathic, more, you know, empathetic, more, you know, anything that's just positive, like if you're not taking this time to kind of like get your shit together and figure your stuff out, like if I hear someone say, I am so bored during this pandemic, Mm. I'm like, oh my gosh, like there are so many things you could be doing right now, like that are so positive. And so I feel like that moving forward, um, it's going to, this, this entire pandemic is going to change the way our friendships are. It's going to change the way our, 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 the job world is. It's going to change the way the film industry is. It's going to change everything. And also, um, when I meet people, my first question to them is going to be, how did you deal with the pandemic? I think in the future, because I, I want to know if they are on my level, you know, like, not that I'm better than anyone by any means, but that if I want to know if they took this time to do what I did, which was work on myself. Yeah, I think, you know, a question I love to ask people, and, and as a story writer, you're always kind of, I call it life stealing, which is probably a terrible way of putting it. But I can sit and chat with someone for hours. I love hearing about people's mm-hmm. lives and hearing about them because you're always looking for stories, always looking for characters, and you're always looking for interesting parts of their life, which you, you might inspire yourself. But the question I love asking people is, well, what did you learn from that? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think with the pandemic and people in lockdown, it's going to be really interesting to ask people, you know, what did you learn in that experience about yeah. life or, or yourself? Um, Because most people, whilst I find a lot of people don't do a lot of self-development or reading about self-development because they don't need to, to tend to be quite introspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I I totally agree with that. I think that you and I have definitely addressed the elephant in the room. We can say sashay away. We're good there. But now we get to the fun part of this podcast, of Mm. course, which is I love asking these things because I love the way my guests, their brain works, Um, things that we're fanatical about, things in unpopular opinions. I mean, these are things that really define our psyche, but they're also, you know, fun to talk about. So um, what is one or a few things you're fanatical about and why? Well, you know, we, we're in the same boat with Guy Freire and, and <laughs> you know, I was a big Drivers, Dine-Ins and Dives fan, huge on that. And you're in the, you know, Dream Destination for me. I saw the TV series, I got the books. I always wanted to go to Howdad's. Um, I've never been. This is a crazy, well, it's, you're too close to so see you'd be blasé to it. I'm vegetarian <laughs> now, so I, I don't know what, I, what I'd do if I got there. But, you know, that's always been on, on my, my list. And, you know, you know, kind of, segueing myself a little bit you know guy is a big car fan he's got his, mm-hmm. his massive bright yellow cars and i've grown up obsessed with cars i come from a car obsessed town i'm in a rural village in in north staffordshire in england and everyone here you know modifies their cars and races them around and stuff yeah. but you know i grew up with you know all that tv you know 18 dukes of hazards garsky and hutch full yeah. guy and, you know, even Charlie's Angels, they had cars as this kind of form of self-actualization. It was really interesting. It's like you weren't a person until you had a car which represented who you were. Yeah. Now, you know, for me, it ties in quite interesting with the whole imposter thing, because I think when you're a young man, and especially if you're a geeky guy and you feel a bit kind of like you don't have that big masculinity thing in your persona, I think a lot of guys, we turn to cars uh, and car culture and modified car culture as a way mm-hmm. of kind of peacocking and making ourselves 
you know, feel more manly and, and, and feel like mm. a bigger deal and feel like we have status. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my husband drives a Subaru BRZ, which he purchased after he commissioned as an officer in Hawaii mm. at his first tour. And I hate that car, but you Dude. know what? Oh God. I, and he's like, turn it on while I'm gone. I'm like, he, he, like, he'll be listening to this and he's going to go, I know she's going to say, I hate, she hates my car, but it's just, it is the most impractical car. It is a little sports car, you know? And, and I love, I love my husband so much, but like off there's a commonality in the community of officers where they buy the most impractical car as soon as they commission. And, and, and so, you know, it's funny yeah. because when you look at the females, like my friend JC, who's an officer, she bought a Prius, like a practical, <laughs> you know, like earth, earth helping thing. And my husband bought a BRZ and then he moved and then he took orders to come to Colorado, which is how he met me. And that car does not, it's not all wheel drive and you need an all wheel drive car for very much the snow and all of that. Mm. Um, but to go back to, to the Guy Fieri thing, I know I have not been to, um, I have not been to Hodad's, but so I'm, a, a, like a fanatic of this man like I, I, I he's a meme of a man and I I don't know if I've told the story on my podcast but I actually got cast onto Guy Fieri's big project which is um it was basically you didn't have to have any discernible skills just as long as you liked food you could compete to win your own show I submitted day drunk uh, a photo, like a video of me eating pizza. Cause I have a pizza <laughs> slice tattooed on my wrist. I pizza to me, uh, you know, having an eating disorder as a, as an, as a young, a young woman, it symbolized yeah. life. Cause it was something I would never eat. And so I had a pizza slice on my wrist. I was wearing a, a shirt that had pepperonis on it and I'm eating, I ate, <laughs> I ate two slices of pizza at Fat Sully's. If you're familiar with Fat Sully's in Denver, that's on the drive wow. diners, drive-ins and dives. It was like a biscuit place slash pizza place really we're going back so far with yeah. this. good memories yeah pizza is the ultimate food yeah pizza's yeah like pizza's the king of food epic oh yeah and you know what it's like it's just it's it's very um comforting too it's it very is. comforting food so i submit this thing and i get a phone call less than 24 hours later and uh, I just started dating my husband at the time. I was in between jobs. I was in the middle of interviewing for the spice company that I ended up getting a marketing position for and laid off eight months later, of course. <laughs> um, and I got in my own head, imposter syndrome. I was scared because I was at a weight that I wasn't comfortable with and I was scared to be on national television. Mm. But I'll tell you what, CJ, I would have fucking won. These yeah. people are garbage. I, I have oh, the personality man. that anything I audition for, I get because I have that kind of personality mm. where I'm just like, things happen and I, and I just roll with the punches and I'm like naturally kind of, I mean, this is me tooting my own horn, but naturally kind of funny. So the, another reason why I didn't take it was because I, I was scared that I would look at him and just laugh <laughs> because, I'm like, <laughs> because I'm like, you're just a meme of a man. Um, mm. But yes, I'm fanatical about him. I love him. Um, I, I definitely just, He's just, and, and he's, it's, it's come out more and more of just how much of a good guy he is. Yes, it has. It and, really uh, has. And, and really, I mean, so yeah, Guy Fieri, if you ever listen to this, um, first of all, F you for not picking me to be, come to your birthday bash in January, because obviously I was the superior choice, but also um, thank you for everything you do. And uh, next time you're in San Diego, Hodad's on me. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you know, like, you know, you are a certified resident of Flavortown, quite clearly. 
and you know, <laughs> hats off to you on that. Oh my gosh. You know, it's so funny. Um, another thing I'm just segueing and at this point, but another thing that's really funny is that like, so my husband was like, I, we just got a puppy recently and oh. he was like, he's like, I hate, I hate clothes on dogs. Like I, I won't, I won't put do- clothes on dogs. Well, we get this puppy and mm. my husband ordered him a, a shirt from Chompers and Sons that has flames on it. And then he took a photo of oh, my dog yeah. in the Flavor Town cooler that we own. Nice. And I'm just like, oh, it's so cute. But um, eventually our plan is, um, so my, my dog's name is Bourdain after Anthony Bourdain. Mm. And we plan to get another of these Cavalier King Charles Spaniels in Blenheim, which is the red and the white. And right, he's a tricolor. Um, mm. And so we plan to go back to the breeder that we went to and get a Blenheim um, after we come back from being stationed in Hawaii in three years. And for four years at this point. And uh, we're going to name that one Fieri. Ah, <laughs> oh, that'd be so oh. sweet. You're going to have to give, it, give him, you know, the bleach tips or whatever you call Oh, yeah. It. He's going <laughs> to Give those spiky haircuts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, unpopular opinions. I always say that you know, it, as long as your opinion doesn't hurt others, uh, and it's not racist, you're you're good in my book. So, um, <laughs> what is one or a few unpopular opinions you have, and why? I always use the example that cantaloupe is trash. I don't know why it shows up to the fruit salad party with its plus one cousin mm. honeydew, but here we are. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, the, I mean, my my thing is, I'm the, always the guy at the party. If people start talking about film, I'll always defend um, Twilight. Um, I, I think the screen. Okay, <laughs> okay. What have I on earth now? Um, I'm not too surprised to be honest. I think you fit the profile, and <laughs> and, and that is a compliment. No. I assure you. Um, I think that massive culturally significant things like that, and again with Fifty Shades of Grey, have to be respected. And I, mm-hmm. I think that 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 kind of material gets dismissed. I mean, Twilight got dismissed because it was for young adult females and it was written by a female author. And I think that once you get out of the remit of child authors and you get into kind of pop culture, I feel that female authors have a really rough time. And I mean, it must have been really hard for Steph Mayer, you know, in terms of imposter syndrome to go out into the world with, you know, a book that had become so massively popular. I mean, you know, I think, it was her sister who convinced her that she actually should send it to publishers, you know, so she didn't feel confident enough to do that. And then you you see the same with E.L. James, you know, and and what she went through, like they're literally restarting paper mills to churn Mm -hmm. out copies of Fifty Shades of Grey. And then she's getting trashed in the literary world, you know, (laughs) for being, you know, a hack. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but if something's that big a deal, it's connecting with people on on a really important level. And I think it has to be, you know, Twilight was a billion dollar franchise yeah yeah that has to be respected so um i uh my aunt was very much into twilight um and my and i went through a really bad breakup and my aunt has been sending my mom these books being like sandy you need to you need to read these books because my 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 aunt's aunt's such a funny person um you need to read these books I'm, i'm just obsessed with them and my aunt gets fanatical about things like like no one's business. Like she's in print. She was in Prince's fan club. I mean, like I, I love, I love, I love my aunt Cindy. She's, she, she's a, she's a firecracker that one. And um, so she sent these books. My mom thought they were too scary. So I was 
going through this breakup in college and I read them and they were such an easy read and then the books came out and I actually am currently staring at my bookshelf and I have, I, I actually never read it, but I have Fire and Death, which is like the, 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 the most recent book of hers. And, um, you know, it's just, it's so funny because I loved it so much and I was unashamed of it and I didn't care that it was silly. I didn't care. I mean, I, and I would read that as a person that wanted romance so much of just God, like looking back on it, I'm like, Edward was trash, but I, I really <laughs> wanted that, you know? And, and, and it's funny because I don't use Twitter anymore, but I tweeted, <clears throat> I tweeted the person who wrote 50 shades of gray Hmm. <laughs> and she blocked me because I said, I wish I could minute, because I hated Fifty Shades of Grey. I thought that yeah. she used the word sardonically way too much. Um, okay. And I think the movies are stupid and I, and it's, and it's not really BDSM. Come on. It's like the <laughs> lightest form. It's like, Ooh, we had a, we, we, we like anal and spanking. It's like, it stupid. is very vanilla. It's so, it's vanilla. It's yeah. vanilla as hell. But I tweeted that I wish I could men in black erase her book series from my from my uh from my brain and she tweeted me back and she said you're very uh what she said that i was um i forget what she said it was something like uh oh you she did men in black she tweeted me back she tweeted me back and said that i was um non-memorable and then blocked me and I was like, oh, crowning achievement. Burn. That's yeah. actually, that was quite a burn she gave you on that. <laughs> I have to credit her on that. You, should credit that a lot. you know, but, but then you... again, I said a shitty thing. I was in my 20s, you know, you know, it was like on Twitter. Like I, I had a pretty big following on Twitter. And so that's pretty funny to me. And I thought it was hilarious. But um, as we talk about pop culture and we talk about like Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey, my unpopular opinion is that Harry Potter is not a personality trait. <laughs> well, I mean, that's all. That's all getting shaken up right now, pretty oh, bad. Well, people she's canceled their... to me. I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't pronounce any of the fucking words in her book about <laughs> like Azkaban. Couldn't pronounce it. McGonagall. Goodbye. At a at a ten year old reading level, I couldn't. I, I got to book three, and I was like, "Why am I trying? These are hard." Um, well, and yeah. uh, and you know, I just I never connected to Harry Potter, and I feel really bad because I've got friends that have full like Harry Potter sleeves and tattoos and. I'm like, yikes. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, honestly, I find it a little bit of a red flag when someone's like a massive Potter fan. Like, I think little people compete <laughs> with each other a little bit too much on it. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, massive respect to J.K. Rowling for doing what she did and getting through that, you know. And she's only recently seems to have actually gone crazy. So she, she held it together for quite some some time in the process. It must be really tough. I mean, she hasn't had a normal life, has she? She's had a very, no, no. very strange life. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that, those books really touch people. And, you know, my, my deal with things is I, I never like to attack other authors. I don't like to attack their work. I, you know, everything's subjective. It's art. That's how it works. If anyone manages to find like a, a massive audience and they become important to that audience, they give them the medicine they need i have so much respect for that and I, and I hope that they relish it i think it's a it's a shame if they have to kind of dwell you know i think it's a shame that el james was sitting on twitter getting you you know <laughs> spitting your your venom at her <laughs> to the point where she kind of has to i mean this is a woman who's making millions of dollars a day and she's still responding to you on twitter you know oh i just gosh. i just think that's a way that's a waste you know um a real waste but yeah i mean she must have gone through a tough time for that. And I think, I think they all do. So I just think, you know, when people need to stop hating on 
um, you know, pop culture kind of female authors and their audience. Just leave them alone. That, that's their happy little thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, is is Twilight like focused on like quite a kind of sad, pathetic, immature area of development. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, the, the angry, angsty 15-year-old girl who wants a prince boyfriend, who, you know, is strong and powerful and a bit weird, who identifies her as this princess, even though she's kind of, you know, a, a kind of blank slate type personality. Absolutely. You know, it's not particularly great values to live by. But, crikey, I mean, if, you know, plenty of other literature out there you know praying to some very very cheap vices let's face yeah. it like yeah. you know cutting up, cutting up zombies with chainsaws is you know masculinity in crisis that's what all that's about <laughs> yeah absolutely well cj um you are an incredible human but we are coming towards the end of this podcast episode so i always love to give my guests the floor to promote whatever they would like so do you have stuff that you would like to promote yeah, I mean, I've I've got a, a film which will be, you know, I'm I'm hoping to have a release date on it sometime this year. It's a film called Break Even. Um, he's, he's the lead in it's Tasia Tellez, who's plays Echo in the One Hundreds. And we've mm-hmm. got some some old school favourites like Steve Gutenberg in there, and you know, people like that. That's a fun little female-led action film. Um, if people follow me on Twitter, you know, CJ underscore Wally, I'll be, you know, as soon as I have a date on that, I'll be releasing the date on that. Um, but yeah, check out scriptrevolution.com as well. If you're a writer, uh, you want to get into screenwriting, you've got some script you want to share with the world, it's free. So, you know, you can just come along and get yourself a bit of exposure, which you might want during the, the pandemic. And I've got my own website, cjwally.com. And you can go on there, you can read my material <laughs> if you want. Um, and then, you know, if you want, send me send me um, snarky messages on Twitter and I'll, and I'll try and give you a burn equivalent to E.L. James and block you. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, and to my listeners, as always, all of this information will be in the description or on social media. But again, CJ, it was a pleasure and absolute honor to have you on my podcast. You're an incredible individual. I hope that my listeners learned a lot from you and your story. Um, but do you have any parting words for them? Um, you know, just thanks for having me on. I learned a lot from this conversation from you, Bianca. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. And I just think it really shows the importance of importance of getting out there and just having just a bit of friendly dialogue about these things to, to get them out of the system and to, to learn something from our peers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again, CJ. And I hope you have a lovely rest of your week. And to my listeners, this has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you liked what you hear, you want to connect with CJ, all that will be in the description as always. But please like, comment, share, spread the word, rate me a five on Apple Podcasts. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thanks again to everyone for all of your support. And thank you, CJ. I appreciate you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Hey listeners, I wanted to share a special promotion for you from Dash of Pep. Dash of Pep is a clothing boutique that offers non-binary clothing that has fun prints that support mental health and empowering you to be your best self. In this pandemic, it is great to shop small and support small businesses like Dash of Pep. More than 50% of my wardrobe is from her adorable store. Robin at Dash of Pep has graciously given me a promo code for you to use at checkout. Use P-D-K-M-O to receive 15% off your order. Again, that is www.dash of pep.com and you can enter p-d-k-m-o at checkout to receive 15% off your order.
This has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, tell a friend. You know, that's how I'm going to keep these stories going. Also, if you want to be a podcast guest, you can reach out to me at pdkmopodcast at gmail.com and we can get it set up. Thanks everyone for your continued support. And I look forward to, you know, connecting with you again next Monday.